Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hi, all, and welcome to another episode of Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis. Uh, per usual, I have been out and about in the D.C. area, and it's all kind of delish. Uh, first of all, uh, you do not need to show your uh, vaccination cards anymore. Uh, it's not mandated, but lots of restaurants are still doing it. So if you're asked, just be kind and show your card. Um, and if you don't have a card, then, I mean, I got nothing for you. Uh, and uh, the mask mandate ends in DC on, uh, well, on the day the air shows, March 1st. So a uh, whole new world out there. It's very exciting. So a couple of places that I stopped in, an oldie but a goodie. I stopped in the Michelin starred Fresca. I had to get a piece of that pressed duck. It is delicious. I did pop into that super cozy Jane Jane, the cocktail bar from JP Sabatier. Cocktails are amazing. You do have to put your name down, but it is worth the wait. And I'm feeling like a little too good about myself. Um, I got into the hotly anticipated Shotu. This is the new Japanese izakaya. It's from the London-based restaurateur, Arjun Waney. Think Zuma. Um, it's his first property in DC. And let me tell you, they did not come here to play. They came here to win. Um, you know, sometimes restaurants and restaurateurs who come from out of town, um, they sort of build their restaurant and say to DC, you're welcome and walk away. And honestly, they don't last. And I can name lots of internationally acclaimed restaurateurs and chefs, people we all love and have dined in the restaurants around the world. And they open up DC and they don't bring it. That is not what happened with Shoto. There is decor, the ambiance, the hospitality and the food. Everything is a win. Um, so you've been warned. Good luck getting that reservation. Um, and for more on all of my eating and drinking and travel adventures, follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, if you want to stay up to date on everything going on in the DC metro area, the listareyouonit.com, the online e-zine that tells you everything about openings, events, and promotions. And then my last little plug, every Sunday, you want to hear my husband, David, and I on Foodie and the Beast, our uh, food and wine variety show, 14 years now on uh, 1500. Okay, on to today's show. So, Recycling is confusing. There, I said it. David and I recycle, we compost, we bring our own bags with us to the grocery store. Uh, we have a hybrid vehicle. We really try our best not to use single plastic, but it is tough out there. It's tough and, and we wanna live a less wasteful life. We really do, but we do feel like we are failing miserably. Help is on the way. Uh, author of Zero Waste Living, The 80-20 Way, The Busy Person's Guide to a Lighter Footprint is Stephanie Miller. She's joining me to help us all recycle better and be better to our planet. And later in the show, the grant program Love Local is back. This provides funding and promotional support for restaurants and small businesses in the National Landing area. So Tracy Grabiel is gonna be back with us. She's the uh, president and executive director. But first, waste not, want not. Hi, Stephanie, how are you? Hi, it's great, Nikki, to be with you. I'm good, thank you, good. I'm good today. 
I did. And I'm taking notes like, on. Yes, I'm taking notes on the restaurants because I've been in and out of town, and I feel like I've missed out on some of these good ones. And you talked about. Well, there's some, I'm going to try that one soon. There's some good dining out there. Really good. I'm dining. a quiet foodie, not like you. That's who okay. Tells everyone I I but I take notes. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> well, there's plenty out there to enjoy. Okay, so listen. You come with quite the resume. Uh, you're another person who did not come to play. You came to win. Uh, so you're the former director of climate business at the International Finance Corporation, which is an arm of the World Bank. How did you, Stephanie Miller, get into climate? Well, climate, I, you know, before the term, before climate change was talked about, I, I think I thought of myself as a conservationist. Uh, my grandmother at a young age, you know, and I think a lot of our grandmothers used to do things right in terms of materials, uh, conservation, and I used to walk around the neighborhood with her and pick up trash. Anyway, I sort of feel like I had it in my DNA. Uh, I, you know, had my career and kept looking for opportunities at the World Bank Group to do more on the environmental side. Huh. And lo and behold, they formed a climate change group. It became a priority for the institution. And they asked me to uh, lead that, that group. And that was sort of the, I felt the pinnacle of my career. It couldn't get any better. But the thing is, I was at that point with a terrific team in charge of helping governments and private sector get on a more sustainable path. Mm -hmm. And I come home a little bit like you were saying at the beginning about the guilt and the feeling of failure. I come home every night, busy, tired, and I sort of had this nagging sense. There's probably a lot more I could be doing in my own life to be more sustainable. And I wasn't feeling like I was doing enough and making time for it. And then basically I decided to quit my career after 25 years, take a little gap year. My son was heading off to college soon. And in that interim, I suddenly had time on my hands and I dedicated that extra time to figuring out that question that had been bothering me this whole time, which is, well, could we at the individual level really make a difference on the climate and the waste fronts? And if so, what would that look like? And I, I did a lot of research, um, visited all the recycling facilities in this region, including in Montgomery County, uh, talked to plastics experts, food waste experts, and I, I basically came up with my own little Bible for what it is I thought I wish I'd known you know, a few years ago when I didn't think I had time for this stuff because it's not that hard to do some of the things that make a really big difference. So that's what I, I wrote the book about, and that's how I try to lead my life, and that's what I teach about when I do learning events. Well, I mean, let's let's dig into it because you know it's all so big, and I think I, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of people out there that are like, I mean, this one can or this paper, you know, really little old me can make a difference. But you're saying that that is true. So let's talk about. Uh, there's all these things. We've got plastic, we've got food waste, zero waste is the new buzzword. What's the best way to sort of break this down and sort of go through it? Yeah, so first of all, I'll say zero waste is a pretty simple concept at its highest level. It just means reducing our consumption so that re we reduce what we end up throwing away. When we do that, we end up 
consuming, I mean, there's less energy that has to go into the products, less energy that has to go into finding a disposal method for those uh, things we're throwing away. So it's basically reducing your waste. What I really like about the term, what attracted me to it, was that it intersects really nicely with actually a whole bunch of other trends, like the minimalist movement, you know, think Marie Kondo, but also climate change, because obviously the less energy that's going into the products that we're demanding or not demanding, uh, the fewer greenhouse gas emissions and, and uh, the, that, that's the climate change connection. Uh, when I first got introduced to the zero waste term, I was introduced through probably the mother of the movement, B. Johnson's zero waste home. She basically shows herself holding up this mason jar of trash that represents her family of four's trash for an entire year, which is, you know, like man on the moon kind of stuff. Right. And I got really excited when I read her book and, and everything I could read on the subject. And they all, all the gurus seem to show up with this mason jars worth of trash. And so I had time on my hands and tried to figure out, well, how could I get to that? And I did a lot of the things they recommended. I wasn't getting anywhere near uh, that small amount, even in a week. And so I really set about trying to figure out, well, what is it that's, if you're not trying to do a thousand things and you've got a busy job as I had and do again, what are the things that are the easiest and most impactful? And so to answer your question, I break it down into three categories, mm -hmm. focus on food, purge plastics, and recycle right. And again, I pick those because I think they fall at the intersection of ease and impact. You do the you do these things doesn't you don't have to change your job you do these things and you can feel really good about the fact that you are having an impact in reducing both your climate footprint and your waste footprint. So let's focus on food. Um, yeah. So I listen. I'm in the food world. Yeah. <laughs> you use the term sustainability, which you know, like 2010, sustainability was like part of every press release I received. Yes whether they built it sustainably, the stuff is sustainably raised, like sustainable, sustainable. But I think it's lost its luster. I don't know if people really know what sustainability means. So when we talk about food waste, we, we do know as Americans, especially, that we throw away mass quantities of food. And, there, and yet there are so many people who struggle to get access. Yes to nutritious food. So yes. how do we, how do, food waste just seems so insurmountable. There's what we do on the personal level. There's what the restaurants do. How do we attack that 2000 pound jellyfish? Yeah, well, the, the exciting thing about food waste is first understanding what a huge contributor it is to climate change. Hmm. It, it is, uh, you know, if it were ranked as a country, food in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, food waste would be ranked third behind the US and China. So it is a big problem. And then I'll just briefly tell you why without getting technical. When food ends up in the landfill, it breaks down in a, in a certain way without oxygen and it creates methane. And methane is one of the most potent greenhouse gases. Listen, when I open up my compost, it's like it's like a furnace, it's like heat. Yeah. Wow, right? It's yes. <laughs> First time it's a process. <laughs> it's an energy process. Yeah. Right. So you are already way ahead of the game if you are composting. And we are so lucky in the DC area because we have so much access 
do composting for free or composting as a service. Mm -hmm. um, I used to use compost tab. They came to my door once a week and picked up my compost. Uh, now I actually have a backyard compost system. Not everybody has room for that or mm -hmm. not everybody wants to mess with it. Uh, but that's, we, we are really lucky about that. But the key thing is how do you divert that food from going into the landfill? Compost right. is a really good solution, especially for fresh produce. That's, a, that's an easy one. But even so, absolutely anyone who's in the DC area and can find a way to compost, and there, again, lots of ideas there, should should try to do it. They will they will know they're making a big difference. But even better than that is to try upstream, if you will, to try to avoid creating the waste to begin with. And that's a little bit harder. But what's exciting about the effort is that it pays off, and I'll tell you why. Because when you look at that food waste, I describe what a humongous problem it is. The biggest uh, purveyor of that problem, the biggest part of the problem is we at the household level. So I, this is an aha moment for me. I used to think, well, it's probably restaurants or grocery stores or I would farm think, losses, I would think right? Groceries. Yeah. Uh, grocery, I mean, you grocery. look at all the stuff they, you, you know, at the end of the, if you go, yeah, yeah, and you, you see it, like if you go to the, I don't go into the dumps, but you can right. see the and, and it's baffling, but it's true, 38%, almost 40% of the problem of food waste in richer countries like the U.S., is, it, it is created at the household level. There is no single other entity, grocery stores, restaurants, farm losses, no other entity that creates as much food waste as we do. But that's where the exciting opportunity is because if we're the problem, it also means we can be the solution. And I give a bunch of ideas in my book on how to address food waste, but a couple of the easy ones, um, which maybe your listeners will appreciate if they're foodies and maybe they won't, but we never used to have a leftovers night. We now have a leftovers night every week so that we make sure that if there's stuff in the fridge that's going to go bad, there's a meal dedicated to finishing those off. Mm -hmm. um, I also do tiny time investment, two to three minutes a day of what I call the daily fridge review, where essentially my goal is avoiding those black holes in the fridge where the stuff ends up invisibly, develops mold, you open up the lid and you you don't even know what was in it a few weeks ago and you throw it away. So to avoid that two minutes a day of just an exercise of pulling forward, uh, pulling forward in your fridge, anything that's going to go bad soon in the next few days. I actually have a, a, a shelf in my fridge labeled eat me first. And then everybody knows that's where they should target. And a really key part of this is what you don't see you avoid is my rule of thumb. So I try to put everything in Pyrex glass, so that you know, people, the rest of the household can see what they need to be eating. Those are some of the, the tips, but I think if we avoid the food waste to begin with, and then we end up composting whatever's left, we, if everyone did that, it would be huge. So mm -hmm. we, we, we can feel very comfortable that if we do it in our own household, we're having an impact. And then even better, I like to say, if you start doing it, tell a couple of your friends about it too. If they start doing it, you've started to make a really big impact influencing oh, others. I mean, I think you're right about that. Um, in fact, so we use compost tab and oh, yeah. um, they are great. They're terrific, but we were just using it on our own because I'd had them on my other show, Foodie and the Beast. And they wrote me and said, would you tell your neighbors? And I was like, 
oh, uh, of course. I, I mean, it didn't even occur to me. And now yeah. I see that every neighbor on the street does it. Everybody has their little bin out every Friday. Um, I mean, listen, we can afford to do that. It is a service. Not everybody can. But I think you bring some really good advice for fresh food in your fridge or food that you have made um, to either repurpose it. You know, if you made spaghetti and meatballs one night, you can take the meatballs, you can make something else. Like you can always repurpose things. Yeah. Using a different capacity. So you don't feel like you're eating the same thing over and over. Yeah. Um, but what about just quickly, because I know we have other things to talk about. What about grocery stores? Um, years ago, I uh, had a director of a movie on my show. He did a, this is like, you know, during um, 2008, like during the recession, there was a lot of talk about, again, sustainability and uh, mm -hmm. um, recycling. And, you know, people were going to Whole Foods with jars instead of, you know, getting plastic bags and stuff like that, which I still applaud. Um, but he was dumpster diving. The movie was called Dive and he lived a year. Uh, this was in California, of course. Uh, he lived a year with his family. He had kids diving at Whole Foods and Trader Joe's. And his whole point was, why aren't they repurposing this food? Why are they throwing away like, you know, it's a dozen eggs, but one of the eggs is broken. So they throw away the eggs. So are, are there changes? Are grocery stores making changes? So first of all, that reminds me very much of another movie uh, by a local guy, um, uh, forgetting his name, but the movie is called Trash Empire. And he's on his own, but he did similar thing. And it's shocking, shocking to see okay. what gets what gets thrown away. And he's got his um, point, political points that he makes about that. Uh, but I, I think um, there, you know, I think like so many private businesses, the signaling needs to come from two places. It needs to come from government. So if there's local regulation on composting, which we have a bit of in DC and more is coming, then uh, uh, then there's then they have to do something with the, for example, with the produce that is extremely compostable or give the food that is just not quite right for the shelf, doesn't look right, but is still good to charity. That's also happening more and more. And that addresses your issue of uh, local hunger and, and global hunger, frankly. Um, but the other push or pull, however you want to put it, is we, the customer, right? I mean, we, maybe less about grocery stores, but my, I, I like to say, tell the businesses that you frequent what you want to see. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I have, for example, been known to go into Whole Foods and they've got a section, a bulk section, and they've got, uh, this is not about food waste, but this is about plastic waste. They have in their uh, bulk section, they've had once in a while paper bags, but usually they've got plastic bags right there. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I know they have paper bags in the back. And so I've gone to them, one of the guys working there, and I've said, I want to put my bulk I forgot my bag. I want to put my bulk in a uh, paper bag. And he'll say, oh, we don't have any right here. I'll say, oh, wait, I know you have some in the back. <laughs> I try to be really polite. But the point is, if there are things that we see that we don't like, uh, like a lot of, if we happen to have a view of the trash in the back of the grocery store, we can let the manager know we're concerned about it. You know, not everybody wants to take the extra time. People don't like to complain. I don't like to complain either. Uh, 
But businesses do listen to what their customers say. And the more we can ask for the things that we want to see, the more people that ask for it, the more the managers take notice and they send the signals upstairs. Yeah, so, I mean, I, actually, I think that's a good segue because now we can get into plastic a little bit. Um, you know, one of during the height of the pandemic, um, I only had groceries delivered once. And the reason why I only had groceries delivered once was because of the excessive use of plastic. I was like, I know we're trying to be safe here, but I don't need each apple individually wrapped in plastic. Like I, I was like, I can't possibly do this. So plastic is everywhere. I mean, it's just in everything. (laughs) And half of it can't be recycled. Um, I have a girlfriend whose family is in waste management. They're not mafia, Uh, but... uh, (laughs) She said, she's like, when in doubt, throw out. I was like, no, I don't want to throw it out. I want it to go in the recycling bin. But apparently that's not the case. Yeah, well, there has to be, I mean, a a few things have to fall into place for something to actually be recycled. One is it needs to be recyclable, but a lot, most everything is recyclable if you put enough money into the process. Hmm. Um, Second thing is (coughs) you need to have, excuse me, Mm-hmm. There need to be, uh, there needs 50% of residents in this country don't have access to recycling by their municipality. So for the rest of us, the other 50% that do have access to recycling facilities in our municipality, we need to use them and we need to know the rules. We're getting into kind of the third area of recycling, but right. there's lots of good reasons to get it right. Uh, the energy savings, the resource savings overall um, are huge. Uh, if, if you want to just talk about plastics first, yeah, plastics is not highly recyclable. So what happens with plastics, uh, unlike metals and paper, uh, unlike metals and glass, which are infinitely recyclable, what happens every time plastic gets recycled is it breaks down a little bit more and it's not as useful as it was in its first incarnation doesn't mean it can't, some of it can't be recycled and we should be putting into the recycle bins what can be recycled. I will tell you the biggest problem, so only about 9% of stuff that gets thrown in the bin, 9% of plastics actually gets recycled for lots of reasons. Either it's contaminated or it's not something that belongs there. But a big one, a biggie, like every time I go to a recycling facility and I say, what's the one thing you wish people got right? They all answer the same way. Don't bag your recyclables. Don't put your, you know, uh, jars of whatever into a plastic bag because that plastic bag is recyclable, but not in our municipal recycling facilities. In fact, the Safeway and the Whole Foods in my neighborhoods accept those plastic bags in a little bin in the front of the store and that does actually get recycled into deck furniture, for example, super useful and a great, great industry. What goes into you, what belongs in the recycle bin in your municipality is those solid plastics, meaning the plastic water bottles, um, the yogurt containers. And yeah, we are getting into recycling now, but if you just Google recycling rules near me, you can find which of the plastics that your municipality is fine with and which do they not want to see 
But that plastic film, that plastic bag one is a biggie. It's a really big nuisance. And I'll just quickly tell you, the reason is because those plastic bags get caught up in the rollers of the sorting machinery at the city recycling centers. And then when they get caught up, they have to shut down the entire facility. Sometimes they have to go in with box cutters to pull out those bags. So that's why we need to not put those in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, let's let's stick with plastic for just a second. Like, um, especially single-use plastics, right? Um, we, you know, uh, utensils, straws, plastic bags. Um, you know, especially like I do think about in the grocery stores. You know, they uh, fortunately at like some grocery stores they have compostable ones, which is yes, flawed. Um, but how do we lessen our use of single plastics? What do, what are some, cause it's so convenient and that, and we, as Americans, we like our convenience. Yes. How do we, how do we sort of break that habit? Yeah. Uh, so if you try to get down to zero, you, you will fail. I, I have, I fail every day. It's really impossible in our society. So I think we need to let go of the guilt and we need to let go of the word failure. Uh, but but at the same time, I think we need to uh, look at what we're consuming daily or weekly that's single-use plastic. You know, single-use being that stuff we just touch for a few seconds, maybe a few minutes. It might be our shampoo bottle. And see if there's an easy alternative. Mm-hmm. And I I like to kind of play a game with it. And this is how I started off. I I... I'm embarrassed to say now, but when I was in an office environment all those years, I was busy and I would grab those bottles of water and I'd probably go through a couple of those a day. Didn't think about it. And, uh, you know, I live in DC where the water quality is good. It's pretty good. And so unlike some areas, some developing countries and some parts of this country where the water quality is not good, I have no reason why I needed to be using bottled water all the time. So I made a promise to myself that I would, um, I know your listeners can't see it, but I would only use and bring with me my reusable swell bottle, whatever your fancy is. And if I forgot it at home, then I would go thirsty that day. And I'd remember the next day. And, you know, once I did that, I started paying a lot more attention to what were the other things that I was bringing into my life every day that I could find a substitute for, as we say, a zero waste hack. You know, what could you eliminate? And so another, I think you mentioned this in the beginning, another big one is when I was going to the grocery store, I was using those, I could barely open them, but those, you know, those plastic bags to put my produce in. Now, super easy. I bring uh, cotton reusable produce bags. I throw them into the trunk of my car. Yes, unfortunately, I do still have a car. And I put my grocery bags. We all do that now, right? We put our grocery bags where we're going to take them to the grocery store. And I also put inside my cotton reusable produce bag. I no longer use those bags at the grocery store, which is great, those produce bags. Um, I mean, I'll I'll give you another really easy one, but it wasn't a no-brainer. So when did we, I'd like to remember the year when I felt it was impossible for me use a bar of soap instead yeah. of a pump liquid soap what and yeah. and my son who's now 20 doesn't know a life without liquid soap at the sink right so 
I have no idea when that happened, when it became absolutely essential, <laughs> but that was a super easy switch, right? Oh, I don't need my soap in plastic liquid bottle. I mean, some people may still want to do that. That's fine. But I suddenly, it just, I had an awareness, like, when did this happen? And I can, this is an easy one to do something about. Sure. Harder, harder for me. I have really thick hair. It looks like you do too. I haven't fully converted to shampoo in bars and conditioner in bars. I've got a few samples people have given me having a hard time with that. So I'm, I have, I have a substitute for that. I still use liquid shampoo, but what, what I'm trying to say is if we take the guilt out, sure. and we just look for the opportunities and we look for the easy opportunities, you can pretty quickly knock off a bunch of sources of plastic that you're bringing into your life and keep the ones that are really important to you. I write about in the book, my fiance has to have raspberries every morning. He claims it's a medicinal thing. So I, I'm stuck with the raspberries and the plastic okay. clamshell. Right. And I, I will tell you what I did do. I can't remember the name of the company. Pre-pandemic, I had ordered, I think it's called Blue Land. So it's like four, I have, I, there's- Detergent, so right? Right. So there's yeah. so liquid, but it comes in a tab. Yes. Put it in a pumpy thing. And yes. And I use all their cleansers. So I don't buy any cleansers anymore. Um, I didn't like their laundry detergent, so I didn't stick with that. Unfortunately, yeah. my all my different cleansers, it's a tab. I put it in the bottle. I don't buy any more plastic bottles. I mean, it it does feel better. Yeah. It. And you know and it makes a difference. Well, I hope it makes a difference. And again, if you tell a couple of friends about it, then it makes a difference. So I haven't tried Blue Land, but I've tried, you have to find something that works for you. I've tried things that I haven't liked or, uh, but there are now cropping up a few zero waste stores in the region. There's one um, it, near me in Tacoma Park called The Fulfillery, which will let you bring in your own containers and uh, they have detergents and soaps and shampoos and household products, not food. There's a store in Alexandria called Mason and Greens that has a, a quite wide variety of zero waste items, including some food. So, you know, I think, again, the key thing is not to be dogmatic about it, not to tell yourself you've got to get rid of every single piece of plastic, but to open your eyes and take a look at what are those common sources for you? And is there, you know, if you step back and say, oh, is there an alternative to this? Maybe there is, and maybe there isn't. Uh, a friend of mine realized after I talked to her about this that she was going through yogurt tubs like there was nobody's business. Okay. And we, I, we figured this out because I did a little audit for her of her recycle bin, and it was right before the pandemic. And she said, oh, there's nothing I can do about this. I have to have yogurt. And then the pandemic hit, and her pandemic project was making yogurt from scratch. So now she no longer uses those okay. yogurt tubs, you know, it just depends um, what you're up for. That is um, really, really amazing. And it's such good advice. Before we sort of wrap up a little, so your 80-20 rule, how does that break down a little bit in your book? I mean, we have to buy the book, obviously. And like you said, it's a <laughs> volume, but what is it? How do you, yeah. how do you break that down? Yeah, so, well, I borrowed this 80-20 principle from economics or business. It's this idea that not every action is equal, that if you focus on the 20% most impactful things, you can kind of get to 80% of the results, right? Like 
we used to say, focus on the 20% most important clients because they are 80% of our business, that kind of rule of thumb. And I set out to find the 80-20 rule for zero waste living because there was no way I was going to start making my own paper, for example, or my own scotch tape or whatever. But I'll give you one example I really love. You know, I'm not a vegetarian, and I know this is a foodie, you're, you're a foodie, uh, but I, I'm still not a vegetarian, even though I know how impactful it is to go vegetarian for climate reasons. But what I found really fascinating is that if you break down the carbon intensity of food, there is such a big difference between beef and chicken, for example. Uh, beef is 10 times more carbon intensive than chicken. And uh, wild caught salmon, for example, is half as much in terms of carbon intensity as chicken. And then you start getting very close to the carbon intensity of lentils. So what I like to say is every meal is a choice. And 80-20 for me works this way. I'm not 100% vegetarian, but I like to think that 80% of the time I am making a carbon-wise choice when I'm choosing my meals. And I've got three shots at that a day. So every meal is an opportunity for me to be less carbon intensive. I, um, well, not only do I applaud that, I, I love that. Uh, Mark Bittman wrote a book a couple of years back called Vegan Before Six. I'm sure you're familiar with it. And I mean, it, I didn't need to live that way, but I got the point, right? The point is, yes. is that you can eat vegan or vegetarian most of the time. We have been, for lack of a better term, fed a false narrative that you need a, a, an animal protein in every meal. And much like um, the change with uh, zero waste as the terminology, I think we see that in the food world as well, because, you know, vegan was kind of like a dirty word, you know, yeah. <laughs> if you went to a restaurant and said, I'm vegan, chefs would be like, what do I do with her? <laughs> they give her pasta and she's going to like it. Um, but now, you know, plant-based has that terminology has just changed everything it is yeah. no longer a woo-woo way of eating uh chefs you can go into almost any of the better restaurants in this city and see you know vegan and vegetarian offerings that are thoughtful and and uh composed yeah. dishes you know not just a plate of carrots uh, as i like to say so yeah. um and I, I i think with the zero waste movement we're seeing that too. I think there was a time that people were like, bring your own bags to the grocery store. What are you, a hippie? Right. Yeah. You know, and now people are like, oh no, like we need to make some changes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think plant-based has become kind of sexy now. I mean, the way you look at the photography around plant-based cookbooks and it's really beautiful uh, food photography. And I now, you know, I didn't have a repertoire. That was my biggest problem is, okay, I've committed to doing 80-20. I'm going to have the majority of my dinners are going to be plant-based, but gosh, I, you know, first of all, that baffled my son and my fiance. What are we going to actually eat for dinner? So I started doing just for myself on Instagram, a vegetarian cook-along just so I could get myself motivated to try new vegetarian meals that were pretty simple to make. And, and then I post about the ones I really love and, it's, uh, last night, we had this amazing New York Times uh, Melissa Clark recipe for chickpeas and Swiss chard. I was inspired by, I think, your last podcast about how 
important for certain kind of sexual health, I think. Oh, yes. um, <laughs> leafy yes. greens are. So I was like, oh yes, and I'm putting Swiss chard sure. in my. <laughs> Just so you know, pre that, I do throw either like spinach or kale, like any stew, anything. It's just, I'm like, it's not called for. I'm just throwing it in there. Yeah. Because um, it's important. Okay. So before we wrap up, um, I want to kind of know from you, what would be like one or two key tips? I mean, you gave us so many great ones today. Um incorporating, you know, there was that move uh, meatless Monday years ago, which has kind of died, unfortunately, but like incorporating meatless meals into your diet obviously is great. Um, And we know to bring our own bags and stuff like that, and maybe composting. Is there any one or two things that you're like, here's one that you can totally do, no must, no fuss, especially if you have kids, because I feel like with kids, the clutter is harder, right? Like my kids yeah. are older, your kids are older, but like clutter for people with younger kids is not easy. Yeah, yeah. I would say uh, the the one, I, two pieces of advice, one thing to do and one at, um, behavior. Uh, the, the thing to do is to pick one thing because if you look at the hundreds or thousands really of things you could do around the zero waste movement, it is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I, for me, I told you it was the water bottle and I made a commitment around it and it really was eye-opening and mm-hmm. became also a bit of a, a game to see, well, what, what could I do next that would reduce the plastic that I bring in? So I think pick one thing. If it's a vegetarian meal once a week or twice a week or four times a week, that's great. If it's, Changing out your shampoo for a shampoo bar, that's great. There's no one size fits all. It's just a looking at your life and seeing, oh, there's a slightly different way I could look at how I'm spending my day and what I'm spending my money on. But the second thing, which I think is even more important than the first thing, is once you pick something to do, tell someone about it. Because when you tell someone about it, we didn't talk about this a lot, but you are setting a social norm. You are essentially creating a new way for your neighbors, your friends, your family to see your behavior. If you just kind of do it quietly, only you and your immediate household may notice. But if you say to your friend tomorrow night, I made the most fantastic chickpea Swiss chard dish mm-hmm. last night, you've got to try this recipe, then you are <laughs> introducing her or him to a, um, a new meal that's vegetarian and you're doing it with positivity and contagious, I think, uh, kind of behavior. It's, I think it's a kind of like sharing is caring, right? Like when we yeah. share these things um, in a non-judgmental way, whether like me telling people about the compost, you know, company that I use or going to the farmer's market or, you know, you sharing a recipe. I mean, you're right. It's, these are low level things that we can do, but as you said in the beginning of the show, every little bit counts, right? Yes. And, and you have this great platform. So if you tell people about it, or I tell people about it in, you know, the interviews I do, then it becomes actually, uh, we can start trends. I mean, I'm not saying that with too much, I hope immodesty, but we all want to do what, you know, uh, our friends are doing. So Uh, that's a powerful thing. It's a very powerful thing. And we should know we have that power and use it well. 
Well, I, I really love it. And Stephanie, um, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Um, this has been an incredible conversation and so educational. I mean, there's so much here that people can use. So I want to thank you so much for it. Please tell us, A, where we can find your book and where can we follow you on Instagram? And if you have a website, give us all the 411. Yeah, so my book is available pretty much uh, anywhere. It's on your favorite you know, online retailers. You can order it through your favorite local bookshop, Zero Waste Living, The 80-20 Way. Uh, my uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter are at Zero Waste in DC. Mm -hmm. And my website is uh, zerowasteindc.com. Excellent. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I love the conversation. Thank you, Nick. Well, it was such a treat to talk to Stephanie Miller. You should absolutely check out her book. It is not huge. It is a, a slim tome, but it is chock full of information that you can really incorporate into your life on uh, being living a zero waste life. And it's really necessary because if you didn't notice yesterday it was 70 degrees and today it's 30 degrees. So um, that's called climate change people. Let's do some work. Okay, as I said in the beginning mm. of the show, the grant program Love Local is back. And this program provides funding and promotional support to restaurants and small businesses and retail in National Landing. Uh, Tracy uh, Seya Gabriel is here with us. She's the executive director and president of the National Landing Bid. So, hey, Tracy, thanks so much for joining me. Nikki, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Tracy, let's kind of start at the beginning, just in case people don't know the DC area as well as they should. Where's National Landing? Well, National Landing is Virginia's largest walkable downtown, and it's just minutes from DC. Uh, so, the National Landing is the Pentagon City, Crystal City, and Potomac Yard neighborhoods in Arlington, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And you might be well known for now the uh, HQ2 for Amazon, mm -hmm. but it's also um, a fast-growing uh, downtown in Arlington, Virginia. Yeah, I mean, that area has been exploding for a long time. The National Landing sort of name is, is it's really encompassing all these multiple areas, right? Exactly. It's sort of an umbrella name for the entirety of the downtown area, but it has these distinct neighborhood identities as well. Right. Okay. So tell us about the bid, because we've had lots of other people from the bid, different bids on before to talk about how they uh, help at the businesses in their neighborhoods and the residents who live there, because uh, it's all encompassing. What does the bid do at National Landing? So we are a public-private partnership, and we're really focused on promoting and activating the residential, restaurant, retail, and office communities, and just general business community in our area. We do that through a number of ways. Love Local is an example of, you know, strengthening our small businesses, but we're also also very focused on, you know, promoting a feeling of a sense of place and programming and activities that bring our neighborhood to life. Well, so it's like a, it's like you're a concierge, right? Like you're constantly <laughs> like doing activations and events and getting people to get involved, right? Absolutely. Um, it's all, really all about um, enhancing the quality of life and experience on the ground. And so much of that is activating the public realm and making sure we have, you know, really um, enjoyable streetscapes and 
you know, and engaging businesses um, that really establish the identity of our area. I mean, isn't that amazing not to go too far down a rabbit hole, but I mean, if you look like 30 years ago, I mean, activation was not a word that people used in their everyday life and experience was not really a word, but now wherever you go, there are ways to engage with areas other than just businesses, right? You know, whether it's an activation or experience or a mural or something, art, culture, there's all these things that are incorporated into an area for a general feeling. Absolutely. I think um, I'm actually, my background is urban planning. So <laughs> the love of place and how you bring places to life is like in my blood. Um, but it's, you're right. It's like a complete uh, evolution in the way people think about neighborhoods. And I think one thing that's really changed too in the last two years is how important um, place and identity is as we're spending more time in the neighborhoods that we live. And so, um, you know, I think that uh, that's just going to continue that trajectory and that importance of uh, bringing vibrancy home. Well, and I think that brings us to this, uh, this promotion, the Love Local promotion. So you guys launched it last year, right? We did. I think when we saw that, you know, how much our small businesses, which are the lifeblood of our area, our restaurants, our uh, small brick and mortar businesses, they're really hurting during the pandemic. Um, and we, so we fashioned a, about a $100,000 uh, grant program, grant and marketing and promotion program for our small businesses. We're really excited to partner with Restaurant Association Metropolitan Washington mm -hmm. to be our grant partner and sponsor with us. Um, and we really saw this as a way to get money in the hands of our small businesses to put that towards whatever they really need to, whether that's paying workers, operating costs, you know, PPE, whatever it is, right. um, we know that there's a large amount of need and this was one way of meeting it. So how are people doing it this round? Because the call is out, right? You're the like- call, The call is out and we've okay. tried to make it really simple for small businesses. So all it takes to be eligible is being within a brick and small brick and mortar business within the national landing bid boundaries and just being a certified small business uh, or with someone with a small business license, they can go on to our nationallanding.org slash events slash love local um, right. and apply there. But it's very, it's very simple, very straightforward. And they have till the end of this month to apply. Okay. And we have $100,000 again this year to divide between our businesses. And how many businesses do you feel you'll be giving them to? And is it the same grant to each or is it based on need? Uh, you know, last year we uh, divided it up equally between all businesses, knowing that, you know, the needs are great and right. it's hard to <laughs> pick between your children, right? Um, so uh, so we, we had 30 businesses uh, participate last year. Wow. Um, and in addition to the, the funding, I think an important part of it, we really wanted to get the community out to love local. So, right. you know, we're really promoting and supporting and making sure that um, the community was with us every step of the way to come out and support these businesses at the same time as we were providing direct uh, monetary financial, support. Right, that is um, amazing. What can we look forward to after you make the announcement? I know spring is coming. I know you guys are always doing something fun. So what can we look forward to in the area uh, that brings us there to experience? Well, you know, we're so excited that the National Cherry Blossom Festival is crossing the river 
right. feature our area. So we'll be doing our own unique uh, events associated with that. We'll also be doing the area kite fly there at Virginia Highlands Park, but we'll have a separate activation that we're very excited to be promoting shortly. So in early April, you come out to National Landing, enjoy our cherry blossom events, and hopefully support our local businesses and restaurants. And we're very excited this spring that we'll also be seeing some new restaurants come to life. Um, we're really looking forward to Beauty by um, Society Fair that's coming to 23rd Street in South Fern, a really interesting concept. And um, we just, you know, every few weeks, we've got some new opening, uh, which I think breathes a little new life into the area and portends, I, I think, a, a really exciting future. Uh, I know it's a, a tough spate. You know how hard January was for our small businesses. <laughs> um, I, I hopefully, we'll like, be behind us. I right? know, but I, here's the thing. Every January, yes. I have the same conversations. I'm sure you do, too. I have the same conversations with all the chefs and restaurateurs. They're like... It's like they forget yeah. that January is coming and how bad it is every year. Now, I know yes. this year there was Omicron. I mean, there was listen, we had yes. we had, yeah. but it, it was a snowball this year. But yes. like, but you're Another absolutely right. You know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> January's a slog every year, and then add to it Omicron, a rerun of last year, and it and it's hard. But I think we all feel really um, excited about the spring and hopeful about bringing everyone back out and getting back to community, back to our businesses. Um, and hopefully Love Local will be well-timed with that um, groundswell of excitement. Well, I'm with you. And as I said in the beginning of the show, um, you know, I've been dining out a lot because that is what I do. Um, and, you know, there's a real, there's a buzz out there. Like it's buzzy. It feels really good. It's exciting. So um, people are ready for spring. I have no doubt. I am. I am ever hopeful. I should say that uh, that the buzz continues and and grows. I mean, I just I feel like summer is going to be um, insane. <laughs> yeah, we welcome that. I am, I'm looking forward to the insane, insane rebirth this summer. Um, uh, <laughs> and hopefully that brings folks out to National Landing since. Like, as you mentioned at the outset, like that National Landing is new to people as a name. I mean, the neighborhoods are not. And, um, but so much has changed in the last few years and I'm hopeful that people come out and enjoy that as well. Excellent. Tracy, can you tell everybody please where they can find, follow you all on uh, Instagram and where they can find you online so they can find out about everything. And of course, if somebody wants to, you know, sign up to possibly get this grant, where to go for that as well. Great. So please check out our website at nationallanding.org or on social at National Landing. And um, we hope that uh, businesses uh, join our program and uh, that folks come out and visit. Excellent. Tracy Saya Gabriel from the National uh, Landing, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Nikki. Appreciate it. Well, thank you to my amazing guest today. What a terrific show. Um, and what an education you've all received. You should be emailing me and texting me, thank you, over